Welcome to the American Hardcore Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Blush. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with the great musicians and non-musicians of the American hardcore punk scene. Back in 1980, I went off to college in Washington, D.C., where I stumbled upon this incredible new punk energy with bands like The Bad Brains and Minor Threat. I dove headfirst into it. I became the kid concert promoter. I booked all the DC bands. I booked Minor Threat and PIL. I booked Minor Threat and Trouble Funk. Uh, I booked all the great bands as they came through town, Black Flag, Circle Jerks, Dead Kennedys. Half these bands crashed on my couch. So it was a real life-changing experience. And years later, what I came to learn is that I in fact have two sets of values. I have those values instilled by my family and I have that fierce DIY ethic that I got from the hardcore punk scene. And that in a nutshell is how I started the American hardcore book, then the American hardcore film, and now the American Hardcore Podcast. So thank you for checking us out. Everyone talks about what's your favorite hardcore band. And if you say Minor Threat, Misfits, Agnostic Front, Cro-Mags, there's no correct answer. But if you ask me, the band that always worked for me was Black Flag. In fact, some people would say that I have a kind of unhealthy obsession with, all, with this band, with all their records. I mean, I have like, like 15 of them here of various, uh, various setups and lineups. There were four singers in the history of Black Flag. There was Keith Morris, later the singer of the Circle Jerks who sang on their first single. There was Ron Reyes who appeared in the Decline of Western Civilization film. There was Des Cadena who sang on the Louie Louie single and the six pack single. And then there was Henry Rollins who joined the band at age 19 and played on every single record. Probably the most famous of those records is Black Flag Damage, their first album. And I bring this up because 39 years ago this week was the release of this album. And you know, it's such a classic. Uh, anyone could talk to you about Rise Above, Gimme, 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 six pack, you know, what incredible piece of vinyl. But what people often talk about is the cover itself. And it is a photo by Edward Culver of Henry Rollins punching a pane of glass. There was no Photoshop, no fake blood. This is how they did it. Henry Rollins punching a pane of glass, damaged indeed. And the artist of this was photographer Edward Culver, who is our guest this week. I often refer to him as the Bob Gruen of LA Punk because for, for the better part of a 10 year period, he shot every single band and show in the scene. So I wanna welcome you to the American Hardcore Podcast. And here's my conversation with Edward Culver. Almost as important as the music of the bands is the images that have been captured by the photographers of, of the bands and of the scene itself. And if you think of many of the great punk and hardcore bands, Black Flag, Dead Kennedy, Circle Jerks, TSOL, Social Distortion, 
They all have one thing in common, and it's the iconic photos of Edward Culver. Edward Culver is still relevant. He's doing incredible photos and work to this day. So I just want to say welcome, Edward Culver, to the American Hardcore Podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Steve. I appreciate your interest. Great. Yeah. Big fan of your work, as you know. We've worked together. Um, there's so much to talk about knowing your history. Um, and we'll get back to talking about you growing up in the 60s and early 70s in Los Angeles and seeing all this in incredible music. To the extent that I did grow up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, growing up is a, is a term in itself, isn't it? Um, yeah. But, ta you know, you kind of get known for this uh, photography of of the punk rock scene in LA as it develops over like 10 years plus. Uh, what was your interest in it? Why did you, why was it really important for you to document it? And what were you discovering about yourself and uh, through all this process too? Well, it, uh, it was kind of happenstance that I, you know, went to a show and stuff and got a hold of a cheap 35 millimeter camera at the same time. And, uh, when I saw shows like at the, the Hong Kong Cafe, I was just like hooked, you know, it was like, this is amazing. And there was all these, uh, you know, people, which was basically a handful, like half the punks in LA at that time in like 78, like half of them were in the bands. And, the, you know, the, that was, there wasn't a lot of people there, but I started going and I saw amazing bands. Some of them never recorded anything, you know, nobody will ever hear them. So these are people, you know, just to talk about it in a broader terms, these are people like on the edge of society. I mean, so much so that they're not like, they don't have the same goals as the typical rock star. Um, <laughs> talk about that radical spirit that you're picking up in these, who became your, all these people kind of became your friends, but talk about like that radical spirit that, you tapped into, they all share, you know, things like that. Well, there, there was a lot of energy and creativity going on and it was a whole uh, mismatch of misfits. You know, I always kind of said that there's like everything from geniuses to drunken morons in the punk scene. It was a real mishmash of stuff kind of, which made for interesting interactions. <laughs> yeah, I always found like it was amazing who I would become friends with because of this music scene. So people from all different stratas, all different styles, all different uh, ways of life, all kind of coming together under this uh, umbrella of radicalism, really, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what were you finding in these photos? Like, you know, sometimes you'll sit there and describe your photos to me. And I'm just kind of like, what, you know, you're not gonna get that when you take a picture of Fleetwood Mac for instance, right? So kind of talk about like what the yeah, spark is, what the energy is. <laughs> yes, they I know I'm speaking to LA here, but we'll, we'll... They were great in the early years. Yeah, yeah, yes they were. Um, um, but kind of talk about that a little bit, like how, like, you know, there's such um, this incredible um, testosterone and nihilism yet style, yet uh, state, like uh, smart statements. Uh, I find that is like the real um, irony of what of punk rock is that everyone it's like a a stupid look but a very smart face if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah so um, you have to be kind of smart to be around this I guess is what I'm saying right. 
around the funk scene. Yeah, well, in, in you could find the smart and the and the and even the people who necessarily you would say maybe were violent or or troublemakers. They were all kind of smart enough to be there in the first place. I guess right? so. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see a semblance of the anti-establishment spirit today? I mean, we see a lot of activism and all that. And do you see a connection to punk rock? Yeah, not so much in the music nowadays. It's more uh, art and political and, you know, activism and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, I haven't listened to punk rock for years, basically. Mm -hmm. what, what impresses you about the, the radicalism that we sometimes see today? I mean, it's obviously like it's not all, you know, you, you keep active and you talk to people and what impresses you about it? Um, there's more people being exposed to stuff and more people kind of uh, joining to make things improve, I think. Um, you, know, uh, you know, I grew up in the 60s and all the anti-war stuff and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there was, uh, you know, the punks are always felt in anarchy. A lot of the, uh, like the Weather Underground, the Black Panthers, the White Panthers, SLA, those people were out doing stuff and the punks kind of always talk about it a lot, you know, but it's kind of a different thing sort of. So they sort of relate. And uh, you know what I got to mention is like when the punks say, you know, oh, fucking hippies, kill the hippies. And it's like, those aren't hippies. The hippies are long gone. Those are long haired rednecks. They're not hippies. Just because they have long hair does not make you a hippie. And those people are railing against and calling hippies, they're long haired rednecks. Get it straight. What was the difference and similarities between these two undergrounds of the 60s and the 70s? Well, there was like radical changes going on in all stratas of society and politics and stuff. You know, in both incidences, they're very similar in a lot of ways, I think. Mm -hmm. What do you look for in a photo? Like, in other words, what are you looking If there's like something that you could boil it down to, what would you say that you're looking for? Quality. <laughs> um, I had, uh, I studied all forms of manual arts and, you know, woodworking and painting and sculpture and ceramics and printmaking and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And uh, through my, you know, childhood love of art and my lifelong pursuit of it, that I know, uh, you know, composition and balance and stuff. And um, a lot of people just point and shoot. They never compose a picture and they don't time it to get the drama and things like that. You know, if I was getting knocked sideways in a pit, I was still trying to compose a picture, not just take it. You know, just taking a picture to me, it, it, you know, it ain't shit. Mm -hmm. Talk about the, the radicalism of the 60s and the radicalism of the 70s. You're talking about how they're, they're very different, but yet they, they are unmistakably connected. So how did you yeah, experience them both? Well, like in the... Uh, 60s there was all kinds of experimental avant-garde kind of uh bands you know trying a lot of stuff and uh then in the 70s it just became a bunch of arena rock garbage and uh and then the punk scene kind of hit there was transitional you know stuff going on all the time like the stooges and patty smith and the 
MC5 and Jack Ruby and the punks and all that stuff was going on, but it was pretty minimal. And, so who uh, were the, to you, who were the punk rockers, so to speak, of the 60s? Of the 60s? Like mm. who portended it? Who, who, you know, was it, you know, oh, I mean, it was Morrison, I don't know. Jim Morrison playing on Sunset Strip. In ways, in ways, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think Iggy, you know, for damn sure. You know, people talk about who started punk rock, and in my opinion, flat out Iggy. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, talk about uh, hardcore and uh, punk rock is not the relevance of it is not really going away. Uh, it doesn't see it's a multi generational thing now. That talk about the 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 good and the bad of being a punk photographer. I mean, a lot of your stuff get like I, even if you talk to like a a Bob Gruen who I would compare you to in many ways for doing for LA punk, what he was doing for New York rock. He all, you know, his issue is always about like not getting, still not getting the credit, not getting the, uh, you know, some kind of corporate thing kind of comes in and usurps it and uses it and changes it. And I know you've had a little, taste of that so um it's kind of like a it's like a blessing and a curse at the same time i guess yeah i'd say i um what i was gonna say is like you know i've had so many of my photos just ripped off and used and like the wasted you flip photo the black flag damage cover all my ross williams stuff they're everywhere and i still haven't been on a computer and when my wife karen got me a iphone about nine years ago i got onto so-so media is what i call it and uh, my friend had set up a facebook page for me and honestly every time i logged on i'd see some of my photos with no credit they've gone all over the world and i had no idea i was just kind of like what it was like wow pretty amazing mm-hmm. yeah no it's 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 a cross to bear you know it's like i you know sometimes you know you write a book and then you see every one of your riffs in all of these other books and all this other other films and and mm-hmm. all these and people telling you things that were like in my books so so i i definitely relate to that um you know uh like it used to annoy the hell out of me sort of like when the wasted youth flip photo got ripped off and used on something which is actually the skateboarder punk chuck burke jumping off stage during the adolescence set at Perkins Palace, July 4th, 1981. And uh, DOA and the stiff little fingers were on the bill. But, you know, it, it, it's, it was really annoying. And then it became, after a while, it's like, you know what? It just iconizes the photo that much more. And eventually, you know, there, there's a lot of people that know it's my photo, but eventually even more will gradually know that, like, I took that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an incredible struggle to, uh, you know, because the forces of industry are so much stronger and there's, and uh, and a lot of lazy people too, you know. So uh, it's like a hard one. Uh, who is, you know, you talked about it. You may have already answered this question in terms of talking about the flip photo, as you uh, refer to it with Chuck Burke. Uh, what do you think are your your iconic photos? Ooh, um, well, I don't know. Uh, that I mean, one, Black Flag uh, Damage was certainly like 
kind of, you know, that's imprinted in almost everybody's brain in this, in this oh, scene. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, a friend of mine sent me a picture of that that's in some uh, rock album book. I never heard about it at all, but mm -hmm. it's in that. And, uh, well, I don't know, the, the TSOLEP cover that I did the photo and the artwork on is pretty iconic. Yes, for sure. Because like how much you're doing with black and white is, is also a, obviously that's a, a black and white album cover, but um, yeah. talk about that, the chiaroscuro and all that kind of stuff of, uh, that's involved with uh, this punk rock scene of black leather and whatnot. You didn't really want color photos of uh, dead Kennedys or something, let's say. I certainly didn't. I like black and white to me. It's uh you know, it renders things more, uh, I don't know, it gets rid of distractions. You know, somebody says, well, what about the pink hair? And I said, oh, that's irrelevant in my opinion. It's just like, it has nothing to do with anything. You know, that's gone in a black and white picture, but it's like something else that's stronger shows through or more important. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I started going out to shows shooting um, in late 78. And uh, I stopped in early 84 when I got a studio, but uh, I, I, I was out on the average of five nights a week. So I figured during those five years, I went to a thousand punk shows, which just amazes me. It's like the effort and driving and doing all that and shooting film and developing it. And it was crazy. And by the end of 1983, I, I had... Uh, had my pictures used on uh, 80 LA punk rock records. Mm -hmm. There was a single of Toxic Shock put out that says, surprise, no photos by Ed Culver on the back of it. I'm still laughing. The guy thought I'd be mad at him. But I did like uh, a lot of these bands, like the first record, the TSOL, uh, you know, China White, Circle Jerks, Wasted Youth, Bad Religion. Well, that was their second album. Um, you know, RF7, Legal Weapon, 45 Grave. You know, I did a lot of stuff. So what, so what is it um, that makes a cover art photo, uh, an album cover photo? Is it the composition like we were talking about earlier? What is, what is the, because it's not just you, you just threw a photo out there. There's a certain thing that's being captured and it's a certain yeah. graphic element that's different than that beyond the 35 millimeter. Yeah, well, you're dealing with a score square format unless you you know use it full frame and do something else with a negative space. But uh, um, you know, uh, like a lot of like I, I was really I did the uh, Channel Three Fear of Life album, which was a photo that was left over from Black Flag's Damage that I did. I also did the Louis Louis single with Des, but uh, I did these two photos, a spray can and spray paint and a backward gun photo, which was a self-portrait for damage and they didn't get used. And I gave them to uh, Channel 3 when they wanted me to do their cover. I said, well, what are you calling it? And they said, Fear of Life. I said, I've already got your cover. And they were like, oh, what? <laughs> and uh, I, 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 I just the graphic layout on that record just upset me so bad because it's a really strong photo and channel three, channel three, channel three. And then over in the other negative space, it says fear of life. And it's like, oh, that just, it distracted. 
so much from the power of that photo. It could have said Channel 3 for your life up in the corner, nice and small, and not yep. purple. You know, personally, I like red, black, and white if you're going to involve a color. And red, black, and white, it, when it was reproduced in uh, California uh, hardcore, uh, the history of punk and new wave in California in 83, they reproduced it in uh, red, black, and white. And it looked 10 times better than that purple. You know, it's weird. Hmm. Yeah, those are, the, those are the colors of hardcore, right? Well, it comes from Russian constructivist artists and stuff like that, but it's a, it's a really great basic, you know, graphic design for minimal colors. What is your favorite of the album covers? Oh, I don't know. I like a lot of them. Uh, you know, 45 Grave, Sleep and Safety, and uh, Damaged, and the China White album cover with actually a real murder scene on the cover. I was driving by and stopped and shot one frame out of my car window with the engine running and nailed that. And uh, I don't know, I like the Louis Louis cover, the TSOL one, the group sex one. You know, it's like some of these, they still use them. Like TSOL is still using that. Group Sex is still using the image I created. You know, it hasn't gone, become dated. It's still, you know, like that TSOL with a dot, dot, dot that I did. That was like vinyl price. Um, excuse me. That, that was vinyl uh, typeset that I stuck onto the artwork that I did. And I still see that used as a logo. They've probably got about 20 different logos, but that one's still around as a logo even. It's taken off the album. Yep. Well, it's just incredible work. Um, uh, I could sit here and talk to you for hours, but kind of tell us about this new project you're working on, this new book, um, really kind of capturing some of the, uh, uh, capturing the theme of hardcore in that it's more than, of, of punk rock in, in that it's more than one or two or three bands. You're really getting deep into the culture and you really get a feel for how, um, how deep the punk culture was in places like Los Angeles. Uh, well, you know, uh, I'm scanning a lot of my old negatives. I have thousands and thousands of photographs that nobody's ever seen. I, I have thousands of photographs of that era that I shot all pre-84 that nobody's seen. No, they even know I have or bands that they, they don't know I photographed. And, you know, I, I would shoot like all these bands that I could get them together. I'd shoot photos of them and stuff. And those went into a file and nobody ever needed the photos. And so nobody's ever seen them kind of. You know, I used to get you know, touch and go would hit me up for pictures or something. I'd mail them across the country and, you know, and different fanzines would use them. And a lot of these bands I photographed, and I thought they were all significant. You know, some were well known and others nobody ever heard about, you know, and I was there and photographed it. Um, and so in the new book, I want to kind of feature everybody, you know, and get comments from my friends about stuff and their memories and, you know, like I, I would like to do something like, you know, maybe, you know, 25 dead Kennedy photos. I've got a lot of stuff nobody's ever seen. And, and then, you know, and a whole bunch of different things like that where I use quite a few of one band, but then there's, you know, the demanded and, you know, anti and these other bands that are in there. There'll be some stuff in there too of them, not just the, you know, people think I did the 
circle jerks and TSOL and the Kennedys and black flag kind of stuff. And it's like, I shot everybody, you know, it was all and, part. And, and you still do, you know, that's what, what thing that really is kind of like the fierce, you know, there's kind of a fearless side to people who came out of this subculture, I feel, or, or the ones who got it right. And it's just like, you never give up, you keep doing it, you keep to your ethic. And it's, it's pretty fierce. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's a pretty impressive subculture that we were, uh, we participated in and what it inspired. Yeah, it was. I kind of liken it to like, you know, it was underground back then. It's, you know, it's not now, but it was like being part of the beat generation or the real early hippie movement, you know, all the anti-war stuff and things like that. You know, the peace sign originally meant ban the bomb is what it means. Is that true? Wow. Yeah. You know, yeah. you I, were I around for all that. It's incredible. And you still, you have been through all these elements of American subculture. Yeah. It's pretty. Uh, you, know, you know what? I, I almost like to say we're talking about some of the violence and nihilism and fatalism or whatever. That is like the last, you know, you know, three, four generations grew up with the threat of dying with the bomb. And everybody, you know, you're gonna get under your desk and put your head between your legs, you know, and then they say, clean kiss your sweet ass goodbye. We all thought like we could be blown off the planet tomorrow or within three minutes. That fucked up everybody for generations. They thought like, well, why live for tomorrow? Who cares about the ecology? We're all gonna die. And it doesn't matter. And it got this self-centered kind of nihilistic, uh, just craziness inspired in a lot of people. It's their upbringing and breeding. And it's like, I haven't really heard anybody talk about it per se, but that just fucked up generations, the bomb, you know? Yeah, I, from my earliest memory is that we are not going to live a full life. Yeah, yeah. That was, that not was so much fun. now, but it's kind of even coming back, you know? <laughs> so... I want to thank you so much for coming on here. One thing I like to do to finish this is I do like a little lightning round where I kind of mention a meme and just anything that kind of comes off of, uh, comes out of off the top of your head. Uh, let me just try this. Um, Jello Biafra. Talented genius. Uh, Henry Rollins. He's still relevant. Jack Grisham. A uh, good friend for many years and always entertaining. <laughs> Mike Ness. Uh, he's got uh, amazing talent that's still going. Uh, Keith Morris. Good friend and uh, still doing viable stuff. Uh, Tony Reflex. Uh, uh, yeah, he's in the neighboring city, still a good friend. He's gone through, you know, he's, he's a great guy, a good friend. And Edward Culver. Oh, that guy. <laughs> uh, I don't know what to say to that. Well, we won't put you on the spot after, after, we, did. On the spot. after we just did put you on the spot, yes. So Edward, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for coming to, and thank you to everyone for watching the American Hardcore Podcast. So we'll see you next time.